The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football, with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament for up to $10. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. There was the, the famous line after he walked off of Torrey Pines where he said, my glutes aren't firing, uh, setting off another round of tiger jokes but also skepticism as to what his future really looked like. It probably was. It's probably the most bizarre thing I've seen at a professional event. Phil on Sunday at Augusta was just electric. People were trying to will him to victory. The, you know, the, the tournament of the year might have been the, the Valspar at Innisbrook. Remember that? And it was really a sort of read, the Reed uh, Speed Show. Welcome to a holiday version of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock, and I'm going to be joined all day today by a bunch of uh, Sports Illustrated Golf editors. We have Jeff Ritter, Alan Bastable, Brendan Muller, and Coleman McDowell on tap, and we're going to break down in recap the 2015 season. It was a pretty incredible year in 2015. And we're going to have the, the slew of guys talk Tiger and Phil and Rory and Jason Day and Jordan. And we're going to do all of that right before the Hyundai Tournament of Champions starts going next week. Just a few days before the new year, considering that the Hyundai Tournament of Champions begins pretty shortly into the, the 2016 calendar year. So without further ado, let's get this thing started. Now, one person we won't see at the Hyundai Tournament of Champions is Tiger Woods. Tiger, he went winless again in 2015, uh, and it wasn't just that in 2015. There were a lot of ups and downs, and many more downs than ups for Tiger Woods. To talk about Tiger's 2015 year, we bring on, from the phone in Michigan, the digital development editor at Golf.com, Jeff Ritter. How's it going, Jeff? Sean, it's good, man. So you brought me in. You've got this great year-end podcast, and I'm here to talk about Tiger and just basically be the human buzzkill. Is that my role in this show? Uh, well, you could either do the human buzzkill. You can talk about a little. You can have a little optimism with Tiger too. I think that everyone is always going to have some optimism with the guy. So it's really in your corner. Oh man, you want me to? <laughs> you want me to try to mine this past year for optimism in Tiger's camp? I guess I could I could give you a couple moments, but it's it was such a weird year that the little the little victories the Tiger had I think are going to be overshadowed, and you know especially with where we are now with two more back surgeries, I, I don't even know where to begin. You want to, should we just start at the beginning? Do you want to start with chip yips and a lost tooth? Is that where you want to tackle this thing? Yeah, this time last year was uh, kind of similar to this one with Tiger Woods. It wasn't good. Uh, he wasn't looking great. He I believe finished. Uh, second to last at his own event, the Hero World Challenge, and moving into 2015, uh, moving into 2015, people obviously didn't know what to expect from him. But I think Chip Yips were pretty much on the last of everyone's ex- expectations. Yeah, I mean we saw him do it at the World Challenge, and you know he looked terrible. But it was one of those at the time we didn't know that it was going to be something that carried over for him. It looked like just a one-off. Uh, terrible event. Strange to see him play that terrible at his own event, but no one really expected him to come back in 2015 and still be, you know, chopping it over and around the greens. Uh, what happened? I mean, he came out and, you know, in the Phoenix Open, 
uh, an event he's had a lot of success. And we actually have on the website his, his ace there from 1997 is one of the one of our top ten Tiger moments of all time. And this year it was just it was just absolutely brutal. He shot uh, it was a career worst 82 in the second round there, and the chip yips looked. I mean, they were just devastating. It was it was surreal to watch him do that. Um, you know, in a in a major tour event, not a not a major championship, but in a tour event that he normally is comfortable with, and you know has put up highlight reel moments. All of a sudden, you stop and look and go, "What is with Tiger? And how do you get over something like this?" So early in the year, we had no idea um, if Tiger was even going to be able to play like like a tour pro. Yeah, it was just alarming, really, because this guy has so much history in the game and so much dominance to watch him not only just really struggle getting on the greens, also struggling on the greens. It was, it was alarming, like I said. It was something that none of us could have expected. But also something none of us really expected was him kind of turning things around at Augusta National. It, I know that the guy has won so many times there and he, he really has dominated in record-breaking fashion at one point. So we can never get away from the fact that we expect something decent from Tiger at Augusta National, but I believe a top 20 finish and a really good run on Saturday was something that people also didn't expect. Yeah, that really was, of, of if you're looking for positives from Tiger's season, certainly uh, overcoming the chip yips I think is a pretty amazing accomplishment. That, that, he looked like the type, he had the type of affliction that you had to wonder if that might just be career ending right there earlier this year. And plus, he, you know, he had the health problems flaring up as well. There was the, the famous line after he walked off of Torrey Pines where he said, my glutes aren't firing, uh, setting off another round of, of, you know, tiger jokes, but also skepticism as to what his future really looked like. And so for him to go into Augusta, um, you know, you almost wondered if he might put up the ultimate black eye on his career. I mean, we talk about Phoenix being a good spot for him. Augusta really is Tiger's playground. He's, his, his run there through the early 2000s is just amazing, the, the number of not only the wins, but also just hanging around in the top five. Uh, we didn't know what to expect from him that week. And for him to pull out a top 20 finish and play really well. You know, it was a vintage Tiger performance, and his Sunday – you know, he didn't have a chance to win, but he was on the leaderboard. He he kind of he hit a tree root on his follow through on the ninth hole and um, was shaking his wrist for a while. Even even that wasn't free of drama. It was another. It, it was almost like you can't. It became a, we were reaching a point with Tiger where you, you couldn't count on him to play four rounds with them without some sort of surreal or strange or you know injury or just bizarre moment. And so the Masters still provided that, but still a, a top 20 finish gave gave you reason for optimism of what was ahead uh, for the year. Obviously, it didn't go that way, but the the Masters stands as by far Tiger's best moment in a major championship from the past year. Yeah, and then he decided to to squash any optimism uh, on his own. Definitely playing at Chambers Bay in the U.S. Open. He, uh, for anyone who really watched and and it was a bit of a struggle just to watch the guy. Off the tee is is about as poor as you can play at Chambers Bay. And then people, you know, it, it's not easy to watch that happen for what many people would call a golf hero. And I think you maybe summed it up when we were talking earlier about Tiger at the British Open a month later uh, and how 
you're seeing a guy who's 39 years old run around St. Andrews, struggle mightily, and uh, I know you kind of put it in some context that you might never see it again, uh, just the guy doing just golf, just playing golf at the, the hollow grounds of St. Andrews. Yeah, I, by the time we got to St. Andrews, as you said, the U.S. Open was such a disaster for him, but it was also a strange golf course, a new place. But he looked so bad there. Uh, you know, he had the one shot where he released the club and the follow-through and, uh, you know, shot a first-round 80, missed the cut by a mile. But still, St. Andrews was the one spot for Tiger where you would say, okay, if there's a place for him to turn it around or to find something, uh, that's a spot. He's won two two British Opens there. Um really just an amazing track record at the venue with all the history of the venue. It sort of felt like maybe this is the type of place where uh, it would all possibly come together for him. But no, instead it was just more of the same, you know, it was just an ugly first round. Uh, the second round had a weather delay, so he didn't actually finish until Saturday afternoon. And the St. Andrews is known for send offs, you know, for golfers who are retiring. And this year, Tom Watson had a moment where he stopped on the Swilkin Bridge, waved to the crowd, and had a you know, very nice reception. Uh, same for Nick Faldo this year. Swilkin Bridge moment, waved to the crowd, another great champion, uh, British Open champion, great uh, British golfer, uh, going out in style. And I just it hit me on Saturday afternoon, which is when the second round ended this year. Tiger uh, was wrapping up. I, I believe he missed a cut by seven. There was no, you know, there was, the suspense was over. Uh, sun was setting, and he was playing with Jason Day, and I was, I was kind of following along, just watching the round. I, was, I, I think I was assigned a Tiger story that day to kind of wrap up the whole uh, gruesome two rounds at, at St. Andrews, and I was watching him go over the bridge, and it just hit me. It hit me right as he was about to cross that we'd just seen Watson go out, we'd seen Fowler go out, and I just wondered, you know, where, where Tiger was with so much uncertainty about. Uh, his future and and you know now obviously it seems even more um, more uncertain than ever but at the time I thought gosh what if this is it what if this is Tiger's last bridge walk you know I wonder if he might just pause I, I know it's very this is not a happy thought but as I said Sean you brought me in to be the buzzkill so here we go uh, I, I thought to myself as the crowd erupted around him I mean they love they love Tiger uh, over they, you know Tiger has fans everywhere but British fans are a different breed. They're louder. They're they really love their champions, and they love Tiger Woods. And they let him hear it as he cro- as he crossed the bridge and made that walk up the 18th hole. And I just wondered for a second. I wonder if he's going to stop. You know, not not to say goodbye, but at least stop maybe a little bit longer than you mo- normally would. Because British Open isn't going to come back to St Andrews until at least 2020 and maybe even 2021. So, you know, where is he going to be in six years? But Woods just kind of powered along. He was ta- he was laughing with Jason Day. He said later they were just talking about how it's the greatest walking golf. He never paused, but that was my that was one of my little Tiger moments, I guess. That you ask, what do you remember? What do you think about? I filed that one away. Um, you just don't know, you know, golf champions get to have these moments on the bridge, and I don't know if Tiger Woods will ever have one, and I don't know if we might have in that that strange Saturday afternoon if I might have witnessed his last his last bridge walk yeah I don't think of that I don't think that storyline got nearly enough play and I remember you bringing it up but it is interesting I believe the British Open goes back to St. Andrews in 2021 so that would be six years from now Tiger would be 45 years old and would you know if he's still golfing his ball around St. Andrews at that point I think you'd have to have some kind of surprise the guy 
is talking about retirement. And that's what was kind of alarming in not only the Lauren Rubenstein interview with Time, but also his year-end press conferences at his own event, uh, the Hero World Challenge, is that this guy is thinking about retirement now. And people, I don't think, were just they just weren't ready for it. They're not ready to believe that this guy, so competitive, so dominant on the golf course, is ready to stop swinging his golf clubs competitively. And I know that that was kind of the, the year wrap on Tiger. Did that, did that alarm you, the fact that he's thinking about retirement now? Well, I don't, I think it's, I think Tiger's dealing with reality. He's facing his, his reality or his career mortality more. And I think it started really by accepting that vice captaincy uh, for the Ryder Cup. You know, it's, that seemed very un-Tiger-like to me at the time. Now, now, you know, now that we know the second surgery and we've heard more from Wood since then, it starts to make sense. But I feel like that was the first real admission from Tiger that, um, he's possibly transitioning to the next phase of his career. I mean, imagine Wood's always been so defiant about his health and his desire to get back to number one and win majors and his, his, you know, his commitment to doing so to me, taking a, an assistant captain job at the Ryder cup is sort of like, I don't know, to use a political term, it would be like Donald Trump's coming out today and saying, you know what, if the presidency doesn't work out, I'm fine being anybody's vice president. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't fly. You could say, "What? What is he doing?" You know, he's supposed to be the president. And for Tiger Woods, he was always supposed to be a major champion. You know, a threat to win anytime he tees up. That's his, his normal line. Is I, I'm in a tournament. Anytime I tee it up, I'm playing to win. So for Tiger to say, "Yeah, I'm good being an assistant captain," a year out from the event was shocking. But now, obviously, we know more about the second surgery. The fact that he was on bed rest for a while. The interview with Lauren Rubenstein, as you said, the, the somber press conference at his own event in the Bahamas, and it's it's clear the Tigers thinking about it now. You know, I I, oh, I don't know that we're ready to say retirement, but he certainly is um, acknowledging the possibility that he'll he may never come back to playing winning golf, and that is uh, that's quite a journey uh, that we've taken over the course of 2015 to get to this point. Yeah, as far as Tiger goes, his 2016 is really indefinite at this point. We don't know when we're going to see him. And uh, I think golf fans really just got to have to commit to that and take note of what else is going on on the PGA Tour. So we, won't, we don't know when we'll see Tiger next. Will it be at Augusta? Will it be later than that? Maybe earlier than that. Fortunately for me, I do know when I will see you, Jeff Ritter, next. That will be probably the second week of January, now that you're in the Midwest for the holidays, and soon enough I'll be in the Midwest for the holidays. So I guess um, from the other side of Lake Michigan, I, all I can say is uh, enjoy, enjoy the new year and happy holidays. Thanks, Sean. If nothing else, there's some things in golf you can count on, and that is the golf.com office at full strength January 4th. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll see you soon. All right, man. I have to agree with Jeff. It is not easy to talk about Tiger Woods in an optimistic sense. Nowadays, he doesn't give you a whole lot to work with. Now, you really can't talk Tiger Woods and maybe the, the falling out he had with such a competitive career without talking about his running mate for a long time, Phil Mickelson. Phil hasn't won on tour in more than two years now and has stayed competitive, relatively competitive here in the waning stages of his career. But at 45, it's hard to know exactly what to expect from the guy. But Coleman McDowell, associate editor of golf.com is here to talk all things Phil, a few things McElroy, 
and what we can expect from both guys in 2016. How's it going, Coleman? What's up? How are you doing? How is your golf game? I know Phil Mickelson isn't as great as he'd prefer, but how is your golf game? Yeah, about the same. It's about to go into hibernation here for the winter time, so me and Phil are both struggling. But, uh, as I know, because I'll be playing with you, you have a date with Streamsong, the Streamsong Resort, in about a month's time. Are you excited for that? That's the thing. The thing about living in the Northeast is that you always have to plan for winter golf in Florida. So there's nothing better than wearing shorts in January, playing golf when there's about two feet of snow in New York City. That's probably something that Phil Mickelson is doing right now. And I don't know about you, but when I look at Phil Mickelson nowadays, I see a guy that is kind of is kind of like a uh, a heartbeat rate when it comes when you are in the hospital and you see heartbeat on a monitor. These have these he has these blips where he jumps up and then he kind of goes back into um, maybe just relative. He's not he's not very newsworthy at those down times of his year. And then he has some other blip and he plays well at the U.S. Open and then he goes down a little bit. He had one of those blips at Augusta National this year and he ended up finishing. Tied for second, a few shots behind Jordan Spieth in what was uh, great scoring conditions but uh, record-breaking performances at the Masters. Is that what we can expect from uh, from Phil Mickelson at this point in his career, 45 years old, not really contending throughout the entire year but having these really good tournaments and turning it on for like a week at a time? That's the thing with Phil that I think that in these last two years he – has kind of flown under the radar on his, not his demise, but his definite slippage. And him and Tiger were just atop for so long, going back and forth. And Tiger's fall was more dramatic because his peaks were more dramatic too. And so Phil's kind of flown under the radar because since winning at Muirfield in 2013, he's kind of picked and you know picked his spots every now and then, but. No, he's not going to go out there and make a bunch of cuts in a row and compete. And the fact that he turned it on at the Masters and that week shows that he's not done yet. He's still he's still got it. And it's crazy to think that he can summon that and go head to head with Spieth and Rose on sun on Sunday and then turn around and be a non factor pretty much the rest of the year. But when you're Phil and you're 45 and you can tell that he you know he might play well at the FedEx he might or at the St. Jude and he might play well at these random tournaments and see kind of blips you can tell that he's gunning for the four majors he he wants that U.S. Open win obviously more than anything but at the Masters it was just people love Spieth and people at Augusta love Spieth that week but Phil on Sunday at Augusta was just electric. People were trying to will him to victory. And as much as they wanted to see Spieth break the record, and as much as Spieth was a fan favorite, when Phil was on the back nine, you could you could feel it. And I and I, I was out there with Spieth, and at the end, I just I started chasing the roars, and the roars were with Phil. And he was just so aggressive, and you could tell he was going for broke on almost every single shot. And the crowd, it was just, it's almost cliche, but you could feel it. And the way that the back nine is set up at Augusta, you can just hear the roars in the trees. And you can you had to know that Spieth was hearing them because you could hear them from two holes away. 
And the moment that stood out to me was that I was standing in the grandstand on 15 green, where you can turn around and see 16 tee and 15 green. And Phil has gone forward in two, of course, and he bails out to the right and he's in a bunker. And he holds it for Eagle. And the crowd just goes freaking nuts. Like Phil does his patented raising both hands as he comes out of the bunk comes out of the bunker. It's like high five and bones. The crowd is just it's just crazy. And at that point, I think he was three back of speed, three or four back. And so, you know, he's not tied for the lead or anything, but everyone's kinda like, Maybe, you know, maybe he can do it. And of course the last the last three holes it doesn't work out and Spieth wins by four, but just that moment that with Phil, the crowd is chanting Phil's name and he is loving it. And just the fact that he can still kind of turn it on for that one week and still summon that magic at Augusta, that if anyone is going to win a major in his late 40 is going to be the first person to do it at 50. Can you see it being Phil at Augusta? Oh, definitely. I think that as he continues to move towards 50, like you said, he would he would be the first to do it at 50. He's almost Jack Nicholas-esque in that sense that I think he could win it at 45, 46. It would, it would be terribly interesting, uh, especially competing with the guys uh, that are dominating the tour within their 20s right now. It would it would go down uh, kind of like Jack's win in 86 as one of the, the greatest wins, I'm sure, of all time. But it's interesting that he is leaving Butch now. And so this year is a, a real pivotal point and it's a real pivot from what he's been doing with Butch and he's been when he's been playing well he's been playing really good golf like people forget that you know he hasn't won since 2013 and it's easy to point out but he went toe-to-toe with Spieth and Spieth set records and so you can't just say oh if that didn't happen but I mean Phil finished in second in it with a scoring mark in a year that would have won a handful of other years in recent history that it took a historical performance to beat him. And in 2014, it was the same thing. He's going toe-to-toe with Rory and Ricky, two of the young guns, and they're chasing daylight out at Valhalla, and Phil is going toe-to-toe with these guys after being through a rain delay, starting, stopping. He's old. His back should be creaky at this point. He's still swinging you know, 125 miles an hour on the back nine of a major and it takes Rory with an improbable eagle and ten at Valhalla, and the whole dark, the whole dark darkness, and how the PGA Championship in, ended. That when Phil is at his best, and that's something that I like to think about, is that who's who's best is best. Mm-hmm. That you can think with Rory, with Spieth, with Jake, Jason Day, when they're all at their best, which they all gear up to be their best at the majors. That. I think that Phil's best is not as good as Rory's now. It's not as good as Speed's, but it is in the same conversation. And so when he can summon that, when he can get the magic going and feed off the crowd and has that electricity to him, that's something that some golfers in history have shied away from, And but Phil thrives on that. And so at this point, I think that Phil's best, why it's not what it used to be, and it may not be you know, as good as some of these 20-somethings, that it's still good enough to get him on Sunday at the majors. And, I mean, that's really in 2016 where what he has to judge himself on because he's not trying to, you know, win 
whatever tournament, the RBC, the, the RBC Heritage, Heritage yeah. or, you know, he's not going to be grinding at the Arnold Palmer, really, that he, he cares about those events and he wants to play well, but you know he's got four dates circled and it's the four majors. And now just a quick break for a word from our sponsor, FanDuel. Modern fans have the entire world at their fingertips. You can watch all the games, follow players directly on social media, and compete for cash with other fans. Lots of cash, actually. You only have one more chance to play one-week fantasy football during this regular season, so don't miss out. Now when you play at FanDuel.com with our code GOLFING, G-O-L-F-I-N-G, your first tournament is risk-free. That's any contest offered at FanDuel at up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account directly for more play. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football, so go there and check it out. If you're new to FanDuel, it's really quite simple. Entry fees start at just $1. You build a team with an allotted salary and go to work. To get started, go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, and use that special code GOLFING, G-O-L-F-I-N-G, to sign up now. And now back to the 2015 rundown with Coleman McDowell. Phil just really thrives, like you said, on the, those high-stakes, the high-stake events and the high-stakes pressure, um, which it comes, he, at, it comes at no surprise of a guy who's um, very, very rooted in the Tuesday gambling money game that we see sure. on tour. I, then, I I wonder if he puts better on those Tuesday money matches does. than he does on Sunday because he, he, he misses a lot of five footers. He's I, he's yeah. got to get that fixed. I've heard from tour uh, from tour players that as crazy as some of the the, the flop shots in the short game that he has done uh, in various tour events, he says his they say his short game during those those Tuesday money games is just unreal. Some of the shots he pulls off. Maybe Phil should put money on himself. To win, to give him that extra motivation. I'm sure he's done that in the past, um, to be honest. But um, Phil, as a gambler, probably didn't even make the biggest gamble of all 2015. The biggest gamble, I think, when we look back at this crazy year in golf, is that Rory McIlroy decided to play golf, or decided to play soccer, excuse me, football, with his buddies and ruptured a ligament in his ankle. Without a doubt, the 2015 season uh, is not marred by this, but it will be on, on people's minds as they look back in history, especially given the fact that Rory was playing very well um, in, in April, May, uh, and leading up to his accident. Is that what you're going to remember? You probably will remember 2015 as the year of Jordan Spieth and Jason Day, but how big of a storyline is the fact that Rory wasn't able to play the British Open and wasn't quite healthy for the stretch run of the PGA Tour? Well, I thought you were going to say his biggest gamble was getting married again, because that seems to be a uh, a gamble with Rory and his and his game recently these last two years. But well, his 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 new engagement is a lot closer to the PGA Tour than Caroline Wozniacki was. That's true, but I would say you think of it, you think the year of Spieth, and you remember Jason Day at the end, but a lot of it is the year of what could have been with Rory that. Rory made a charge at Chambers Bay on Sunday, and it never really was in doubt that it was going to be there was going to be Rory and there was going to be Spieth and DJ on Sunday. But Rory, I mean, for the whole week he didn't play great, but then Sunday it's like, hey, made things interesting. Yeah, he's like, I'm still, you know, that's what I was talking about with the best players. That I think Rory's best is still better than Spieth's best, and is still better than Day's best. Rory has that extra gear. And people talk about Jason Day being the best of 
Rory and Spieth combined with Spieth's putting and Rory's length. But when Rory, Rory is such a streaky putter and he goes on those runs where just like we saw this last, this last year at the match play and at Quail Hollow that Rory's best, he, he's, he's just a sprinter and he can get out in front of the field and you physically just can't, you can't beat that when he is driving it well and putting it well, that Spieth is more of a shot maker and he's going to have to hit, you know, three woods into some par fours like he did at Chambers Bay. And when Rory's hitting five iron, it's just, he plays a a different game. And for him to not be at St. Andrews was was disappointing because as good as that event was and as much hype was around Spieth, that you have to think, and this has been said over and over again, but Rory would have owned that golf course. The fact that the fact that the the final that it came down to Zach and Spieth, two shorter hitters on tour, are two people that aren't that aren't bombers. That DJ was leading after thirty six, and DJ was a bomber, and there was lots of guys out there that were just beating St Andrews into submission at the beginning and kind of faded away. And you have to think that Rory. He might have put too much pressure on himself that week to win at the old course and at St. Andrews, and he would have been the prohibitive favorite. But he threw away half of a year when he's in his prime. And I think that he he realized, and he said, you know, before that he, he, he regrets the end of the summer and how he realized that he was at the Masters and he was did, didn't play great, but played okay, and then made a run at Chambers, and he was hitting a stride right there at St. Andrews. And he was playing really, really good golf. And you can't say, oh, he would have definitely won because obviously anything could happen at the British and anything could happen with the weather. But I'm going to remember that, that this is a year that I think Rory matured a little bit and that he was on, he was on top. And you can't say he took it for granted, but at least he realizes now how quickly it can all go away. And that He's, nothing is going to come easy against Spieth, against Ricky, against Jason Day, against Phil, against all of these guys, against Patrick Reed, against all of these up-and-comers up who are learning how to win. And the leg up that Rory has is that he's been to the top, and he didn't fall off a cliff or anything like that. You know, like he didn't drop down out of the top 10, and he's still probably the best golfer in the world entering 2016 in my eyes that I think that he now realizes that he can't take any weeks off, that he has to kind of maintain that hunger. And that's tough to do when you're living the lifestyle that he is at 26, that he has had it for so long and golf comes so easy to him and he's got the money and he's, he's, had, he's had all these different women and he's had basically everything that he's wanted and it hit that point where he might have felt like he was indestructible and that he turned his ankle and had to sit out. It cost him the British. It cost him a chance at the PGA that he wasn't fully healthy and kind of rusty, that you have to think that he has seen what it takes to get to the top, and he's also seen how hard he has to work and how much he has to actually focus on golf being the number one priority, not just on major weeks, not just on tournament weeks, but literally every single day because he knows that that's what these other guys are doing. And so 
I think I I would expect him to come out, and it's not a bold prediction, but in 2016 for him just to for him just to dominate, and it's because that hunger you can't really say that it waned because you don't you, no one knows what's inside Rory's head or anything like that, but the fact that he got to the mountaintop and he is kind of clawing to get back now, um, I would expect a huge year out of Rory. Yeah, I think a lot of people are too. Um, one thing I think we can fairly expect is that he won't be playing soccer anymore, at least during the season. Um, that being said, before we go, I do want to ask you one question. I thought of it, and I will rephrase it now uh, since you told me about your high expectations for Mr. McElroy. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we had you talk about Phil, you said he could do it at the majors. What do you think uh, – where, where would you put your money? Would you put your money on Rory winning three majors in 2016 or Phil winning one? Jeez. <laughs> Rory winning – what about two? Okay. I th- two, well, I think, three, I, think I mean – Two, two is what I originally thought, but then you started just blowing up. Uh, three, three's a little, three's a little strong. Um, but Phil, I don't Phil know. at forty-five. There's no way Phil can putt at Oak, Oakmont, so he, you, he's gonna be he's gonna be three putting all over the place. Balterstrong, he's had the magic there. I I would say if it's three versus Phil's one, I think Phil can win the PGA at Balterstrong. If it's two versus Phil's one. Oh, it's two as Rory then. Then it's Rory. All right. Well, we will hold you to it and uh, maybe make you place a bet when we get back to the cubicles. Uh, Until then, have a good holiday. Uh, Enjoy being down back in Alabama, and uh, I will catch up back with you in 2016. Thanks. So as Coleman said, the year of 2015 will probably be remembered as the year of Jordan Spieth. And uh, Coleman did not talk about Spieth all that much, but thankfully we do have someone here to talk all things Spieth, it's the executive editor of Golf.com and co-host of this podcast, Alan Bastable. How's it going, Alan? Hey, Sean. It's going well. I'm not used to being on this side of the mic, so it's, uh, it's good to be here. Usually you are doing the interviewing. Uh, and I don't know if, you got to, if you've ever been able to interview Jordan Spieth, but he seems to be a guy that everybody loves. For sure. No, I have not, I have not sat down with him, um, but I've certainly been in plenty of press conferences, and it's been said many times, but... You know, that's probably where he's most impressive for all his talents on the course. The guy is just remarkably poised. Uh, you know, with all the pressure that was on him this year at 21 years old, you know, every press conference he's attend is, attends is just, you know, packed to the gills, and he is just so smooth. I mean, he's 21, going on 41. It's hard to believe. Yeah. I think I, I, think I said in one story earlier in the year, it's, you, feel, you feel like the questions, he has the questions in advance. I mean, he's that smooth. So um, it was, uh, but it was fun to, certainly fun to cover him this year. Yeah, I know that anyone who's going to take part in his press conference for the first time, it's almost like a hypnotizing effect that you feel like if you ask him a question, he's talking to you, he's talking to you only. It feels like it's one-on-one, like you're sitting around, you know, the couches in the living room back at home. So I know exactly what you're talking about, having sat through a few Spieth press conferences of my own. You, you were at least at two of the majors Spieth played well in this year, the first being the Masters at Augusta National. Coleman was here saying that on Sunday he was kind of following around Spieth but got locked into the roars of Phil Mickelson. Who were you following around that day, and, and kind of where were you in Augusta in regards to Spieth, and, and what was the scene like for you there? 
Uh, where was I on Sunday? I'm trying to think now. I think I was a little bit all over the map. I don't know that I followed anybody in uh, late on Sunday. I think I was I think I was in the in the press center writing at that point. Um, but I did follow Spieth closely. I, certainly in the first day, first day and a half or so. I think I wrote the game story on Thursday, and that's I think he came out in like '64. Yeah, and it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was one of those days where he just, you know, didn't miss a shot. Basically, he, he played that way, if I recall, for the first two days. I think he went like 64, 64, 66. 64, I think. No, six, maybe, 64. Maybe I think it was like 64, 66 maybe. But okay. I know he didn't, he didn't three-putt any greens in the first two days. He was totally just locked in. And I, I do remember that uh, – that, uh, he missed, I think he bogeyed like 17, and then he, or he might even double bogey 17, but then he had that incredible up and down on, on 18. Mm-hmm. I think that will go down as, you know, it, it, at the time it wasn't all that momentous, but when you look back on this year, and he would probably say this, I think I've heard Michael Greller say it, that that was probably one of the most important shots he hit all year. He was up there to the right of the 18th green. Yeah, and he which did is this like, tight little flop shot. Yeah, and that's just a nasty spot. Like nobody gets up and down from there. Most guys actually putt that shot. Uh, if really? you're up, because it's such a steep um, slope, and you just can't get the ball to stop. But yeah, he he right, he pulled out a, a lob wedge and and flopped it up there to I don't know seven or eight feet and made the putt. That and, very uh, well could have been like the tipping point of his year. I know that he won before the Masters and he won after the Masters also a couple times, obviously. But at that point, the tip it could be the tipping shot of his of his year because everyone was looking for him at least the first two days at Augusta for him to falter. And he was he was getting some breaks. He was getting some bounces. But that shot is all skill and all imaginary, uh, imaginative. And he, he was able to pull it off and kind of, I won't say he cruised from there through the weekend because it's never easy to cruise at Augusta National, especially onto victory through the Saturday and Sunday tee times. But I, I think people could argue that that, like you said, was the most important shot of, of his 2015 season. Yeah, I mean, you have a you have one or two of those at any time you win, I think, and uh, that's probably what Speed does as well as anybody. Like when he does, and he does get into jams. I mean, he's not you know the guy's human. He's he's been known to make some double bogeys, but he's got this incredible ability to to bounce back. We saw it a couple times at St Andrews. He obviously didn't win there, but uh, you know Sunday, late Sunday, he made a couple of monster putts coming in. Um, the, you know, the, the tournament of the year might have been the, the Valspar at Innisbrook. Remember that? And the playoff with, the playoff, with, yep. with uh, Patrick Reed. Sean O'Hara was sort of the, the forgotten member of that group. It was really a sort of Reed, the Reed-Speeth uh, show. But, and, like, neither of those guys was playing that well that day. Um, and he, I think he made, he might have even missed the green, like 16, 17, 18, coming in and got up and down three times in a row. And that was sort of... I don't know, sort of exemplify what, what, like I said earlier. What That's speed, his game. Yeah, what Speed does so well, just when he does get in jams, he's, his short game is so, so good, and he's so mentally strong that he seems to always find a way out. Now, you weren't at the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay to watch him win his second no. major of the year, uh, but you were at the British Open at St. Andrews. I think it's pretty remarkable Jordan Speed's first two majors come at Augusta National uh, and then Chambers Bay, just two wildly... Two wildly different courses, but 
his his third major very well could have come at St Andrews, and um, I guess when you were there, and he's chasing the Grand Slam, did it feel like people were really really pulling for him? It kind of had to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. But I do remember thinking and, and talking to a few people about this during the week that, you know, if, if it had been, you know, it's the, the Tiger speed comparisons were made frequently this year, but. Uh, you know, if Tiger in his prime had been, or at really any time had been in that situation where he where he was chasing the Grand Slam, like literally the sports world stops. I mean, you know, everybody's going to be paying attention that week. And I, you didn't get quite get that feeling with Spieth. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not th- sure the general population sort of appreciated what he was doing. I mean, there was obviously a lot of excitement around St Andrews, and and uh, you know, it's obviously a golf mad town, so people were well aware of the history on the line and what he was trying to accomplish, but, uh, it, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like the vibe was electric as it could have been or should have been. Um, I think that's part of just Spieth being Spieth. He's such a low-key guy. He's not really all that explosive. And, um, you know, he just goes about his work. And, and uh, again, a lot of excitement, but it wasn't quite where I thought it might have been. And, and some of it, it was a weird week, too, because with all the weather delays, you remember, it was... Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, didn't, Monday finish. Yeah, didn't finish till Monday, and you know, there's these long stretches. You know, Friday into Saturday where they weren't playing. Spieth was out there, I guess, Saturday morning for like a couple of holes, then they pulled him off the course again. So it was just a, it was a start and stop week, which kind of maybe took a little bit of the electricity out of the week, but um, still, what I mean, what the guy came close to doing there was uh, incredible. Oh, no doubt. And now he's currently the number one player in the world. And his 2015 year will go down in history. He almost, you could say he almost won the SI Sportsman of the Year award. He was one of the candidates uh, for that award, which is pretty impressive. Anytime a golfer, anytime a golfer is up for that award, you know they've had an incredible year. But in regards to, to the world golf rankings, um, I think right now Spieth is going to be given his, probably his best, com- best competition from Rory, and from day, this time next year, who do you think is the number one player in the world and why? Spieth is the obvious answer, just because he's. I think he's more consistent than uh, than Day or or Fowler or, or McElroy. You know, I know Rory came out last week and said he, you know, he, he thinks it's very realistic that he'll, he'll be number one by uh, the time the Masters rolls around, which is obviously very possible. I mean, all these guys are are so good. It just takes a couple of good weeks at the right time in the spring and, and really any three of those guys could be could be the number one player uh, as early as April uh, but you know for that reason I just think you know we've seen it from McElroy and from Day really they the, both those guys will go through stretches where you sort of don't hear from them um, but when McElroy does get going and Day gets going which we obviously saw in the second half of last year those guys are also unstoppable so if we can get to a point where all three of those guys are firing on all cylinders, uh, you know, it's going to be incredible. It's, it's, you know, those guys could be, could be neck and neck and neck uh, throughout, throughout next year and then into, you know, God knows how many years uh, ahead of us. So yeah. it's, it's a good, uh, we're it's setting up for a good run for sure. It, that would be, if we could put it together in one tournament and one major, it would be probably the pinnacle or the, the ultimate cage match in terms yeah. of. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, but how many years were we waiting for Phil and, and Tiger right. to, to, for that to happen? And even Tiger and Roy, you know, three or four years ago, just it just it's so it's so rare 
I mean, now it's nice with three of them there, and, and hopefully hopefully more. I mean, hopefully, you know, there's, there's plenty of young talent coming up now who, who could potentially compete with those guys in the next few years. So, um, But that's that's the killer with golf. You, you want these dream matchups, and it's just for, for two, two guys to be playing at the top of their games same week, uh, same day, is – uh, it's not easy. It doesn't happen very often. So hopefully we'll see some of that next year, but uh, yeah, no guarantees. You, you mentioned it would be a dream, and I'm sure as the exec editor of golf.com, that would be a dream for you as well. That being said, before, traffic, baby. Traffic. Before, before I let you go, um, would you take that as a Christmas gift and as sacrifice of whatever is on top of your list? Would you substitute a, a three-way cage match at, say, uh, the U.S. Open at Oakmont between Day, Spieth, and McElroy? Would you take? Would you sacrifice your favorite gift that you're going to get, or that you received at Christmas? There's nothing, uh, nothing currently on my list, and we've only got about four days left, so I will say yes. But add Tiger to that to that mix. I want Tiger to to uh, miraculously recover in the next six months and. Uh, be ready to go for Oakmont. Throw him in, and I'll I'll say yes to that to that question. I would say yes too. Um, so until that happens, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be waiting and probably perpetually waiting for the last guy you mentioned, Tiger Woods. Uh, until then, Alan Bassable, executive editor of Golf.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sean. Happy holidays. It's the holiday season, which is a fantastic time to spend some money on the family in terms of Christmas gifts. I know I'll be spending time with family and maybe get a chance to go to a Packers game while back in Wisconsin. But I don't have tickets right now, and in order to get tickets, I'm probably going to use the SeatGeek app. If you don't know SeatGeek, you might want to acquaint yourself. Here's what it is. SeatGeek is an app and a website. You can download it on your iPhone or Android. Just go to the app, search for your event, any sporting event or concert, enter our code GOLFING, G-O-L-F-I-N-G, And when you make your first purchase, SeatGeek will pay you $20 via check or PayPal. It's really that simple. They're actually going to send you money. That's a great deal. For how SeatGeek works, all it does is pull the ticket buying and selling options from all ticket sites on the web and place them in one location to save you time. SeatGeek knows the fair market value of every ticket, which is a great thing to have in your back pocket. They use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. If you have tickets that you can't quite get rid of, either call me up or put them on SeatGeek because SeatGeek will help you sell them to another fan. SeatGeek also has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. So there are no hidden fees, which is great when you're ready to check out. So if you want to redeem your promo code and get that $20 check back while also going to a great game, download the free SeatGeek app right now. Enter that code GOLFING and then SeatGeek will send you $20 once you made your first purchase. For the NBA, NFL, and the eventual return, thank goodness, of the PGA Tour, try out the SeatGeek app. And for one guy who definitely rivaled Spieth for the Player of the Year voting uh, at the end of the year, but really kind of came out of nowhere uh, towards the later end of the season in July, August, and September, that would be Jason Day. And to kind of recap Day's 2015 and talk about what we can expect from the Aussie going into 2016, we have assistant editor of golf.com, Brendan Moeller. How's it going, Brendan? Great. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are, we're trying to kind of cover each corner of the PGA Tour season in 2015. And one of those corners, definitely the last one, like I said, would be Jason Day's dominance. Now, we didn't really see it until July and August, but he did win earlier in the year at Torrey Pines. I think he finished top t- or tied for 26th 
at the Masters, when you are at the U.S. Open in Cham- Chambers Bay, out in Seattle area, I think at that time Jason Day might have been the best player or maybe in the conversation with Dustin Johnson or best player to have not won a major. And he's, I think at the time, probably in the top five on the leaderboard. And you're out there following him, and he goes down. He falls down. Can you tell me a little bit of what that was like that day? Was that the most bizarre thing that happened that you've seen on a golf course? It probably was. It's probably the most bizarre thing I've seen at a professional event. Um, and it, it that, that round sort of started off in a very strange way. Um, I was watching uh, Justin Rose, Jordan Spieth, and Jason Day. And I think they started on the 10th hole on Friday at Chambers Bay. Um, and by the time they got around to one, um, I can't remember exactly who had the lead, but I think Day might have been tied. And Day holed out for birdie, hit an incredible shot from the left, kind of down below the, the, the green on the par five first hole and holed out. And it was the kind of shot where um, he either was probably going to make birdie or six or seven. Um, Anyway, he made birdie, uh, plays the rest of the front nine, um, gets to the ninth hole, which is a lengthy downhill par three, is walking down the hill to the green, and I'm with maybe six or seven other media members, and I kind of look down for a second, and when I looked up, Jason Day is laying on the ground, kind of with his hands over his eyes. Uh, His caddy is bent over him. A couple USGA officials are there on the scene. Um, They're waving for medics, and... It was unlike anything I had really ever seen, and the weird thing was that nobody really seemed to know what had happened. Um, you know, people knew his history with vertigo, but no one was really sure if he had maybe twisted an ankle or fainted or tripped over something, but it was it was clear that he was in some sort of pain, um, and he was able to recover, at least temporarily temporarily and uh, I think he eventually made uh, kind of a scrappy bogey there and luckily for him that was the last hole of the round. Um, That's what I was going to say is because as he, he started on 10 you said and if this happens on even on the even on his second nine if this happens on like the fifth hole at Chambers Bay there's no way he's able to finish that round. He probably doesn't. And so that that is one storyline that stuck with it. You were there on on the scene um, surprisingly. I know that being in New York watching it on television they had so few uh, camera views of what had happened, and it was from beyond the green that that the cameraman was zoomed down on a day. So it was, it was far away, and it was so odd. And I remember you messaging our our group channel saying, "Yeah, this is not good. This is crazy." It's, Jason Day down. Yeah, basically day down, day down, and uh, you know, remarkably, he came back the next couple of days and finished in the top ten at the U.S. Open. It's, Pretty amazing what he was able to pull off. And um, in hindsight, that wasn't even probably in the top three most amazing things he did this year. Eventually, he finishes T4 at the British Open, and everyone's kind of like shaking their head again, saying, hey, this is Jason Day. He's the the best golfer in the world not to have won a major until mid-August 2015 when he's at the PGA at Whistling Straits. You were there. Did you get to walk around uh, with Jason Day at all that week or, or follow him at all? I did a little bit. Um, unfortunately, I probably saw him hit more shots at Chambers Bay than I did at Whistling Straits. Um, but 
I mean, the, the PGA Championship was Jason Day's tournament to win, even before the first ball was in the air. Um, Whistling Straits is a course built for somebody who hits the ball long and straight off the tee. And Jason Day, I mean, when you're that good, there are o- there's only so many close calls that can happen before you're going to win. Um, and, I mean, you know, he was hot. He had won the RBC Canadian Open. Um, obviously, he had won earlier in the year, played well at the British Open. Um, he could have won the British, too, um, just kind of stumbled a little bit down the stretch. But, you know, coming into the PGA Championship, especially with Spieth having not been able to win his uh, third major in a row at the British Open, it really was Day's story, and it was his week to win. Um, the way he played that week um, – from beginning to end was incredible and he just played like a guy who was not going to let anybody else leave Sheboygan with that trophy. Shout out to Sheboygan. I like that. I'm glad that you remembered that actually too from the Dairy State. Now that wasn't that was just the beginning because at the end of that tournament Jordan Spieth who takes second jumps to number one in the world and I remember Jason Day saying that's the next thing I want to do is become number one in the world and people kind of I don't know if they laughed it off, but they, they realized that that was going to be a bit of a, a job for Jason Day because he was th- number three in the world at the time, and Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth had a bit of a leg up on him in, in terms of world golf rankings. But then he takes off, catches fire throughout the playoffs. He did it by averaging his four wins in August and September. His average uh, finishing total was 19 under par, so he's absolutely blowing these courses away. And that's what makes me question, or at least question you, when it comes to the top players in the world playing their best game, Rory, Spieth, and Day, is is it possible that Day's might be better than the other two? Or Are, are you in that camp, or are you in Rory's camp? Because I don't know if many people are in the Spieth camp. Well, it's, it's an interesting point, and, and it is true that I think both Rory's best and, and Jason Day's best are better than Jordan Spieth's. Um, I think Spieth is the most consistent player, but I, I do think when Day is at his best, that kind of golf can't be replicated by anybody else. And I say that because he is far and away the best driver of the golf ball when he's swinging well. Um, up until this year, his putting was really what had hurt him down the stretch in big events. Um, costly three putts at the Masters the last few years. Um, also at other events, and just just him not really being the kind of guy that you would expect to make the the clutch 15-foot birdie putt like you would from from Jordan Spieth. Um, and the same can be said about, about Rory McIlroy's putting, um, especially this season. But I think Jason Day, having really made a drastic improvement in that area, when he's playing the best, every part of his game is better than almost anyone else isn't when you put it all together I don't think anyone else can do what he can yeah and that was that was pretty evident now as a little bit of a prediction before we go Jason Day is number two in the world right now I believe Rory McIlroy is number three and Jordan Spieth is number one this time next year mid-December 2016 who is the number one player in the world in your eyes unpopular opinion but Bubba Watson (laughs) um well He'd, uh, he'd be the favorite at Augusta, and if he, if he wins there, he's definitely on his way. Bubba, I believe, is number four in the world right now. And you have, you have high expectations for him? What's the deal there? I do. Um, I mean, I, I, he had a recent press conference where he said that 
you know, somebody had asked him about a, a quote from a few years back when he said that when he got to 10 wins, he would retire, and now he is at nine. And he sort of downplayed that, backtracked, but did say, if I get to number one in the world, I will step away from the game. And we know Bubba, if he does get to number one, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, he likes to talk. But he also did say to the media that, you know, none of you guys want or expect that to happen. And I think that kind of showed maybe a little bit more fire in Bubba's belly than we've seen before, at least off the course. We see that fire on the course every time he plays. But I think that Bubba, you know, Last year might have been a little bit of a wake-up call for him. Um, obviously, Bubba's not quite as young as, as these three other guys, but at his best, his game's right up there. Um, and, you know, this is certainly a bold prediction that I think he'll be number one, but, I mean, if he can pick off another Masters win and maybe two or three other victories throughout the year, obviously it's dependent on what Spieth, Jordan, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, it's dependent on what Jason, Jordan, and Rory do, but I think Bubba's got a chance to surprise people next year. Certainly does, and we will have to. Well, his season will start at the Hyundai uh, Tournament Champions in Hawaii, and I wish I was going to Hawaii. I'm sure you wish you were, but you're going to Scottsdale for the for new for the new year, right? For New Year's. That's right, I am. Are you planning on playing any golf out there? Yes, uh, TBD. But yes, I will be playing golf, as you should be. Well, until then. Uh, enjoy the holidays on your own, and thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Sean. Thanks again for tuning in to the Golf.com podcast. For all things PGA Tour and more, this will be your destination. I'm your host, Sean Zock. My co-host is Alan Bastable. If you'd like to let us know what we're doing right and doing wrong, please, please, please go online, go to iTunes, leave us a review, and let us know if there's a guest you'd like to have us have on the show. If you'd like to use Twitter... Alan is at Alan Bastable. That's A-L-A-N-B-A-S-T-A-B-L-E. And my handle is at Sean underscore Zach, S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Let us know how we're doing, and we'll check back in with you at 2016. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Zach, and this is the Golf.com Podcast. Yeah, Nick, there were a lot of doomsayers out there who had it all wrong. <laughs> Talked about where is golf going. Maybe it had lost its direction. Well, folks, you need a new agenda because an exciting new era has just arrived. The next generation is officially here. And Johnson's got to make this to force the playoff. Jordan Spieth has won the U.S. Open. I play golf for a living, and I'm, great. I'm grateful for that. Um, It's a beautiful game. It provides great opportunity. And uh, I'm a product of great people. I'm just so thankful. Congratulations, champion Thanks. golfer of the year. Gosh, I'm a mess. Sorry. You know, overall, I'm just really pleased with how I, how I played. I mean, it was just, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better. And to be able to, you know, just finish it off and, and finish it off with style was, uh, was just an amazing feeling. Congratulations, you are in elite company. Jason Day, the 97th PJ Champion.